Welcome to Vision of Zion. I'm Craig Perry, and the date is August the 8th, 2022. Ever since Podcast 7, The Kingdom of God Part 1, I've been itching to get behind the microphone and talk a little bit more about the Kingdom of God and maybe clear up some questions you might have. And by the way, if you would ever like to comment on the podcast or ask questions or give me ideas or a critique, you can send me something like an email, let's say, at myvisionofzion at gmail.com. I'll probably have something more appropriate for an email in the future, but that'll do for now. That's myvisionofzion at gmail.com. I'm going to start with a little anecdote or story about the weekend. Today's Monday, obviously, the 8th of August, and on Saturday, my kids decided that they wanted to go out and hike the West Rim Trail in Zion National Park. And I tricked myself into thinking that I was in shape enough to do that hike, and I asked if I could go with them. Now, the West Rim Trail is, uh, it's about a, some say 14, some say 16. It's about a, I think it's about 16 mile hike, the route that we took. And we did it in one day, it took us about nine hours. And what you do is you start out at the very top of Lava Point, which is pretty close to Kolar Reservoir, maybe three miles away. And then you start in a, definitely a, a forest. And as you descend, uh, you go through what I would guess call Alpine Meadows. And then eventually you have to hike up to the rim of Zion National Park. I may put some photos up here for you who watch this on YouTube. This is pretty much an audio-only podcast, but I will post something for, for viewers when it goes to YouTube, which this show isn't on YouTube yet, but it will be. Anyway, the, the views were amazing. Uh, to look, to, to stand above or at the top of all of the high points in Zion National Park and look down into those canyons and valleys carved out by water was it was awe-inspiring and I hadn't done this hike for about 30 years and it'll probably be another 30 years before I try it again it's a very rigorous hike for me uh, it's 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 really just endurance there's not any one part of the hike that is super tough but to do that many miles in one day at least in my shape uh, trust me I've been feeling it the last I, I felt that on Sunday I could barely move and then today I'm woke up very stiff so it was a great experience and I had to comment on it since this this podcast is entitled Vision of Zion I thought that's kind of fitting that I would uh, take a hike which is I think the best hike in the world I'm not even kidding the views are amazing just if you do it bring lots of water and uh because you're going to need, I think I went through about five liters of water during the hike. And I could have had a little more for myself because I'm a sweater. So I need the water. But uh, anyway, it, it was a great experience. And, and it's kind of fitting, I think, that uh, it matches the title of the show. Uh, the, the views were just, were just wonderful. Anyway, let's get into the material today. I thought I would start by answering some questions 
that I know I had after listening to what I had recorded so that I don't leave anybody with any confusion about what my thoughts are about uh, the kingdom of God, which for me, Zion and the kingdom of God are relatively synonymous. So these are questions that I found myself asking that I didn't think I answered or made clear. I think that I will start by giving some short answers, then maybe elaborating. First of all, are the church and the kingdom of God the same thing? And my answer is yes and no. For a while, yes, but eventually no. And again, I'll go back and explain that. Is the kingdom of God mean you have to be a Christian to be a part of the kingdom of God? And the answer is no, absolutely not. And closely related to that question is, will other religions exist while the kingdom of God is upon the earth? And the answer again is absolutely yes, there will be. So let me go back to the first question now. Are the church and kingdom of God the same thing? Now in my church, we often refer to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints as the Church and Kingdom of God. So, for members of my church, we would think that they are one and the same based on these comments that you hear in church from the pulpits over many, many years. But the truth is that the Church and the Kingdom, they are related in the earliest stages. Uh, if you go back to Revelation 12, there's the woman and there's the child. Now, is a mother the same person as a child? No. But the child is um, begins, life begins in the woman. The child grows up in the womb and develops. And then finally, it is born as a separate and unique individual or person. So there is a symbiotic relationship between a mother and child. And for the church, it is the same way that the church is going to foster and it's going to nourish this child. Well, another question I should have asked was, does the mother go away when the child is born? And the answer is, well, the, the, in, in the book of Revelation chapter 12, the woman is taken away to a place of safety. And we see the woman suffering great persecution as she is pained to be delivered because Satan the dragon rises up to try and stop this kingdom from being born or formed. And so the woman undergoes great persecution while the child is born. But it doesn't say that she disappears or is destroyed. She simply goes to a safe place and has to endure a great deal of persecution. The child becomes the kingdom of our God and his Christ. And so they are definitely separate at the end, after the birth. Well, this raises another question. And, and as you can see, I really rely upon the scriptures to inform uh, my answers. I'm looking just at the scriptures and what they mean. I've also looked at other sources to confirm this, but the, the core of these answers comes from the Bible. There's an additional layer for members of the church of Jesus Christ, which is that uh, we also have Joseph Smith who added additional insight into the book of Revelation chapter 12. He specifically stated, and I believe it was an inspired commentary or explanation that the woman is the church 
and the the male child, the man child, is the kingdom of God. And where do we read that? If you go look at the Joseph Smith translation of the book of Revelation chapter 12, you will see that that's what he says. In fact, let me read it now. What he does with the with that chapter is he reorders some of the verses and he also adds an explanation about who the woman and the child are. Now, I have listened to many uh, preachers, evangelists, and uh, let's say doctors of religion who have discussed the book of Revelation 12. And again, the opinions vary greatly, but a majority of them are close, if not similarly aligned with the interpretation of Joseph Smith that woman is church and this kingdom comes out of the church. I personally believe that even without this explanation from uh, Joseph Smith, that you would, you would or could come to that same conclusion. This would be Revelation 12, 7. And the dragon prevailed not against Michael, neither the child, nor the woman, which was the church of God, who had been delivered of her pains and brought forth the kingdom of our God and his Christ. Here again, the woman is identified as the church. And since she delivered the kingdom of our God and his Christ, that would be the child. But I think that's amply clear in the King James Version, when in Revelation 12, 10, it says, uh, John says, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. So that announcement comes after the woman gives birth and Satan is cast out upon the earth. So again, a circle back around on this, the church and the kingdom have a symbiotic relationship early on until the woman is in travail, gives birth, and then a separate entity or creation arises out of the church. And again, you see here that all of them survive. When I say all, I'm referring to Michael, the child, and the woman. Satan did not prevail against any of them. Once again, I believe in order for you to understand Revelation 13 and why the, the beast arising out of the sea occurs and, and then a second beast, we have to understand this duality that exists from the beginning where good and evil will come in pairs just to highlight a few of them, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and Satan comes along tempting them. Moses performing miracles to persuade the Pharaoh to let his people go. Joseph of Egypt, who's sold into slavery by his brothers, winds up in prison and then interprets the dream of the Pharaoh and is set at as his number two in Egypt. Uh, Jesus, following his baptism, goes into the wilderness and is there tempted of the devil for a period of time. Over and over again, we see this clash between good and evil coming together. I'm going to talk more about Moses's uh, experience because we have a little more information through the teachings of Joseph Smith. Uh, Abraham, the father of many nations, who's being told to sacrifice his son as a test. And then the simple example last week where a sister missionary prays for patience and 
her companion finds out that they're going through all these trying circumstances because to develop patients you have to go through experiences where your patients can be tried and tested so the kingdom of god will not have is no exception we're going to have this opposition and a false kingdom established well there's a big question here which i'm not really prepared to answer yet i'm not even sure if i can formulate an answer yet but the question is has the kingdom of god been born yet in other words has the church and and maybe this is speaking collectively as christians has that church identified by john in the book of revelation 12 has it given birth to god's kingdom and if not when will it occur well these are exciting for me these are exciting questions i hope they are for you too they're intriguing and they're exciting as i mentioned in the last podcast and i may not have been very clear about it we have uh, you know communications uh, tools today available to spread god's word across the word uh, across the world and thus the admonition of the lord to the apostles in matthew 28 can literally be fulfilled uh, matthew 28:19 go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So we do have these tools to accomplish God's work. But at the same time, in Revelation 13, Satan has all of the tools that he needs to deceive men. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 14, we have an image to the beast that is made that the whole world can worship the beast. Anybody who doesn't worship the image of the beast, in verse 14, a mandate goes out that they would be killed. And then they can also um, exert economic control. In verse 17, you cannot buy or sell unless you have the name of the beast or the mark or the number of his name. We have all those tools today that make that possible. Some say the mark uh, of the beast is literally going to be a computer chip, a branding, a UPC code. I've heard a number of uh, theories about that. I have reserved judgment on that issue because there's a similar mark that the righteous receive by following the Lamb or Jesus Christ and is that going to be a chip or a mark? Which one's you know metaphorical or symbolic and which one is actual? I don't know for sure. I've heard good arguments, but again, I'm reserving judgment on that. Uh, suffice it to say that there's some kind of oath or worship that must occur to this image of the beast in order to uh, participate in the economy. We have all kinds of ways to know whether people, well, who people are and what they have agreed to do. We're seeing all of these things, in my opinion, being moved into place right now. Even if they are well-intentioned, it doesn't matter. They're not going to be used or remain in the camp of good intentions. They're going to be used for evil purposes, in my opinion. 
the point of all this is to point out that while we see these things fall into place, we should also be rejoicing because the Lord is not going to stand for this to overcome what is about to take place, if it hasn't already, which is the birth of the kingdom of God upon the earth. So let's talk about this for a minute. How is a religion or a set of beliefs different from a kingdom? The simplest explanation or way to say it is that a kingdom would be secular or political, providing a structure or framework within which people with various beliefs can operate. One of the main purposes of having a kingdom on the earth is going to be to permit all people, regardless of their minority position, to be able to worship God in the way that they seem fit and to protect those rights. This is the exact opposite of what is happening today where we see religious freedoms being controlled and limited and in some cases even Christianity being labeled as dangerous. There was a, a talk given very recently, July 20th, 2022, in Rome, Italy, by President Dallin H. Oaks of the First Presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And the topic and the title is called Pursuing Religious Liberty Worldwide. And he repeats many of the foundational attitudes that are going to persist as this kingdom of God is set up on the earth. Protection of minorities or minority points of view is, uh, and that's what I mean by the word minority in the religious context. It's a deep-seated principle in me. It's a deep-seated principle in members of my church because of the degree of persecution we suffered as our church was being established in the 1800s. But we are not alone. Catholics coming over to the Americas, Catholicism was greatly persecuted when it came onto these shores after the Protestant movement arrived first. I think that uh, the persecution that Joseph Smith and other church members early on suffered made them acutely aware of the need for religious protection of all minor, all minorities or, you know, less accepted political, uh, religious beliefs. Here's a quote that President Oaks cited to from Joseph Smith in 1843, quote, I am bold to declare that before heaven that I am ready to die in defending the rights of a Presbyterian, a Baptist, or a good man of any other denomination, for the same principle which would trample upon the rights of the Latter-day Saints would trample upon the rights of the Roman Catholics or of any other denomination. I'm not going to get into it today, but to demonstrate to you and to uh, members of my church that the church and kingdom of God are and, are and will be separate is clearly set forth in what is now called the Joseph Smith Papers, of which there are several volumes, but I would refer you to the volume that's called Administrative Records, which I'm holding in my hand right now. And to go and look at the Council of 50 Minutes, because this was the organization that Joseph Smith initiated, and the history of it is very fascinating, but that's not the point today. But they were trying to set up the kingdom of God, 
beginning, I believe, in 1843. Certainly 1844. In fact, I think I was wrong about 1843. I think it began in 1844, March of 1844. And uh, this was a completely separate uh, body that was attempting to establish this kingdom of God that would provide for the, the religious protection or the protection of religious freedoms for all. I have read through this volume with great delight and interest as these records remained private or unavailable to the public until the publication of this volume in 2016. I'm not going to go to the quote that I found in here, but this is either the same quote or a similar quote that I found on a website that is citing to the History of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, Volume 5, pages 55 and 56, which is similar to what I found in the administrative record, and I love this quote. Joseph Smith was a great believer in the Constitution, but he didn't believe that it went far enough because it didn't give the federal government power to enforce the Bill of Rights, and it's particularly the freedom of religion. So here's a quote from that book. I am the greatest advocate of the Constitution of the United States there is on earth. The only fault I find with the Constitution is it is not broad enough to cover the whole ground. Although it provides that all men shall enjoy religious freedom, yet it does not provide the manner by which that freedom can be preserved, nor for the punishment of government officers who refuse to protect the people in their religious rights or punish those mobs, states, or communities who interfere with the rights of the people on account of their religion. Its sentiments are good, but it provides no means of enforcing them. So to his mind, uh, there should have been a provision in the uh, Constitution that gave the government power to protect religious freedom and to punish those who encroached on those. Now, there's no attempt, and there was no attempt, to try and have a state religion or to meld all of the religions into one belief. Rather, it was to preserve these individual belief systems. Now, this is what is going to occur when the kingdom of God is established upon the earth. At least, this is the view of members of my church at the highest levels. And that talk by President Oaks will illustrate this point. Now, there's another component to the kingdom of God unfolding on this earth, and that is that the earth is going through transitions. And this is a word we hear a lot today is transitions. Uh, this word transition is an important word in the religious context and in the earth's history because the earth is going to be elevated to a new level. And the types of sin that we see occurring on the earth will not be occurring. They will be eliminated and they will be uh, let's say the earth will be cleansed from these types of uh, things. We're talking about things I think we can all agree on, and unless you're a criminal, uh, murder and rape, uh, trafficking, that list that I read when the people in the New World were living the laws promulgated by Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that again for you. It's a pretty comprehensive list, and I would ask you, don't you want to live in this type of society? Verse 15, and it came to pass that there was no contention in the land because of the love of God, which did dwell in the hearts of the people. The love of God dwelt in their hearts. So as a result, there were no envying, envyings, strifes, tumults, whoredoms, lyings, murders, 
lasciviousness, robbery, robbery murder, uh, no classes, and they prospered. So this is the type of thing we're, we're striving for. And this is what is going to happen. In the coming episodes about the kingdom of God, I'm still going to cover other Zion societies, including Melchizedek, which means king of righteousness, as well as the city of Enoch. And we'll dip some more into this 200-year Zion-like society that existed as described in the book of 4th Nephi and 3rd Nephi of the Book of Mormon. But for now, I want to go back to the book of Revelation. Chapter 12, the kingdom of God is born. Chapter 13, Satan tries to establish his kingdom, which apparently succeeds for a time. What do we see? In, verse, in chapter 14, we see an angel flying in the midst of heaven in verse 6, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation, kindred, and tongue, and people. Then we have an angel declaring the fall of Babylon, which is the code for Satan's kingdom. Verse 9, an angel says, the third angel says, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in his forehead, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And this horrible system it's not going to bode well. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. If you want to read more about this kingdom of the devil, go to chapter 17. There is a call to come out of Babylon in chapter 18. Verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. So there is a call to repentance, a call to reformation. Verse 5, For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. I want to skip to the good part, because the whole point about this is having faith in what is going to come. 19 verse 11 and i saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war his eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself skipping a little more verse 20 chapter 21 verse 1 and i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verse 4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Verse 7, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. In the next episode, I'm going to talk about Melchizedek and what he did in the city of Jerusalem. And I'm going to talk about Enoch and what he did. Because I believe Enoch's uh, the prototype for what's going to happen in the future. So stay tuned. Thank you for listening.